heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. You are Locked On Clippers, your daily Los Angeles Clippers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Locked On Clippers podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Han, and today is Thursday, June 6th, 2017. I don't think we'll be here too long today. Wasn't a ton of news either in the NBA or as far as the Clippers are concerned yesterday, but some speculation, some rumors. So we'll talk about some names that have been thrown around as far as the Clippers go, but it shouldn't be an insanely long episode. It should be probably the shortest one we've had in a while. Now, the most important thing about today, today being Thursday the 6th, is that this is the last, or this is the day that the NBA's moratorium is lifted. So the moratorium is this period every summer where teams are allowed to start talking to free agents, but because the NBA has not yet done its internal audit to see what the salary cap is going to be and all of that stuff, teams can't actually reach agreements with players. Now, we see all the time, every summer, teams reaching agreements with players during the moratorium, but technically these are not considered binding. So in the NBA, a verbal agreement is considered binding. So if two sides reach a verbal agreement, even if they haven't signed the papers yet, it's considered binding by the NBA collective bargaining agreement. Now, a deal that's made before the salary cap number is finalized can't be official because you don't know if it's actually going to be a legal move or not. So that's why technically, legally speaking, within the collective bargaining agreement, all of these verbal agreements that you've seen reached in the last week are just considered negotiations, not verbal agreements. And they can verbally agree beginning today, which is when they'll also begin signing the contracts. Now, the main ramification this has for the Clippers is that they'll finally be able to announce their summer league roster. Because if you remember, and it seems like a year ago, the Clippers purchased those two picks on draft night. They drafted Juwan Evans. They drafted Sundarius Thornwell. Now, we talked about this the day after the draft. The Clippers used their 2016-17 money to buy Sundarius Thornwell, but they could only buy the draft rights to Juwan Evans using their 2017-18 money, which means they had to wait until the new salary cap year began on July 1st. But as I said, because of the moratorium, no deals can be made official until today. So the Clippers, their first summer league game is actually tomorrow on Friday, but they have yet to announce their summer league roster because they can't, because they can't officially put Jawan Evans' name out there until they've officially acquired him, which will come finally today. So I expect that, depending on when you're listening to this, it it may have already happened, but 9 a.m. Pacific time is when the moratorium is lifted. We won't necessarily see official announcements regarding player contracts immediately at 9 a.m. because the team is not going to put out a press release until Blake Griffin actually signs his contract and Daniel Gallinari actually signs his contract. And so that might take until later in the afternoon or even sometimes a couple days before deals are made official. 
But as far as the trade with the 76ers for Juwan Evans draft rights and announcing the summer league roster, I would expect to come pretty promptly this morning. So moving beyond that, and I imagine we'll talk more about summer league in tomorrow's episode, and I'll be actually in Las Vegas over the weekend to see the Clippers play on Sunday and Monday. But we'll talk more about Summer League as it goes on. What I want to talk about today more so is free agency rumors. Now, we did talk last episode about the Boston Celtics and how they need to make a trade, so we'll start with that. There hasn't been really much leaked regarding what's going on with Boston and the trade that they need to make, which was surprising to me because if you'll recall, I believe in yesterday's episode, I said I thought that Boston would get a deal done by yesterday. And the reason why I said that is because the moratorium is being lifted today. And players are going to get signed. And Boston, after adding Gordon Hayward, has a lot of work to do on their roster. So I thought that they would want to you know, not that they would rush and not get good value, but that they would rather quickly make a decision. So it's a little surprising to me that now we've had another full 24 hours go by and they still haven't made a trade. There were some rumors coming out of Utah that Gordon Hayward was going to help the Jazz by making a sign-in trade, which is fine because, you know, it's really no different for Hayward it does make no difference whether he is signed and traded to Boston or signed by Boston. The contract is exactly the same. So it's just a chance for Utah to get some help. The problem with that is for Boston, from their front office's perspective. Like I said, it makes no difference to Gordon Hayward. The reason that the Rockets had to give the Clippers stuff for Chris Paul is because Chris Paul, what did he was not signed and traded there. A sign-and-trade contract is the same as a free agency contract. You cannot get extra money by being signed and traded. But because Chris Paul opted in, he was able to take his bird rights to Houston, and he'll be able to make much more money in the long run. So in order to give that to Chris Paul, the Rockets had to make a trade, which means they had to come up with matching salaries for the Clippers, which let the Clippers get you know, a few players that they really like. For Gordon Hayward, there's no such thing. There's no advantage to him, and because there's no advantage to him, there's no incentive for Boston to participate. Now, Boston has to dump the salary, but that doesn't mean they have to give away a good player for free to Utah, and the Jazz corner of the internet seemed pretty determined yesterday that Boston was going to give them Jay Crowder for free, which would be nice because Jay Crowder is a very good player, Good shooter, good defender, gritty hustle guy. About to, He turns 27 today, actually, so happy birthday, Jay Crowder, if you're listening. Um, get traded to the Clippers instead. But there's no reason for the Celtics to just give him away for free when they could just as soon trade him to another team for a first-round draft pick and then just sign Gordon Hayward with cap room. So if Utah wants Jay Crowder, they'll have to sign and trade Gordon Hayward and send a pick for Jay Crowder. They're going to have to compete in the same marketplace as everyone else. And that sucks, and it sucks for Utah that they lost their best player. It sucks. It really does. But it doesn't change the reality. You know, this is a business. 
teams make deals in a marketplace and you don't get a lot of sympathy in a marketplace. You get sympathy in press releases. You don't get sympathy in the marketplace. So I, the Celtics aren't going to just give them something for free. Now, I still think the Clippers could make an intriguing case, even though I think their offer probably could be topped by other teams, because what they can do by swapping Avery Bradley for Lou Williams is what maybe a lot of these teams with cap room can't do, which is give the Celtics the cap relief that they need and also give them a rotation player. And like I said, the Celtics have a lot of work to do on their roster. They don't have very many guys right now. And a couple of the guys that they have are either not NBA rotation caliber players or risky to be, to be having them in your rotation because of their age, lack of experience, etc. They need to go get some help. And if they can pull off a move where they dump $9 million of Avery Bradley but take back $7 million of Lou Williams and can still afford Gordon Hayward, that's a win for them because now they have another rotation player on the roster. In this sense, a team like Boston that has like eight first-round picks in every draft from now until the end of the world, it might be a little more useful to them to get back a player than to get back just another future first. So it's, it's intriguing. I wouldn't count the Clippers out, but the only real case that they can make is if Avery Bradley is the one that Boston decides to trade because Jay Crowder and Marcus Smart both make less than Lou Williams. So there's no savings to be had by moving Jay Crowder for Lou Williams. And while the Clippers have Wesley Johnson's contract that they can move, Wesley Johnson isn't really a rotation player. He doesn't help you. So yeah, I think it would have to be Bradley for Lou Williams, but I think it's still feasible, if not particularly likely. Now, I will briefly mention, I think the only signing of yesterday was that Andre Roberson went back to Oklahoma City for three years and $30 million. That's an interesting deal. You know, it feels like good value because Roberson is a starter. He's an important player for them. And kind of like how I talk about, you know, Patrick Beverly making $5.5 million this year, $5 million next year, Jay Crowder making $7 million a year, you get these not superstars. They're not the Chris Pauls and Blake Griffins of your team, but you get these kind of foundational building blocks, these core supporting cast guys for cheap long-term, and it really helps you build your team. You know, Patrick Beverly is a very good basketball player, and I've said before that I really like him just from a, you know, my, my personal subjective taste, not like he shoots this percentage or whatever. I like his style of basketball. But he's not the kind of talent that, like Chris Paul, where you would say, no, we're not moving Chris Paul. We could, you know, there's no way for our team to actually get better by moving Chris Paul, which is how it always was, especially with Blake Griffin. You heard all those trade scenarios for Blake Griffin for years. The truth is, they were all talent downgrades. They all made your team worse. Patrick Beverly isn't that kind of guy. You could make a trade, you know, an opportunity could come up to get a better point guard than him. There was a lot of speculation, not anything, you know, that I heard as being a rumor that the Clippers were interested in this, but speculation among the Clippers fan base that they should go get Eric Bledsoe from Phoenix. Obviously, Clippers fans love Eric Bledsoe from his time with the Clippers. But while Eric Bledsoe is probably a better player than Patrick Beverly and definitely a better offensive player than Patrick Beverly, because of his contract, he's less valuable. 
So if you could, in a vacuum, say, okay, you can have Beverly or Bledsoe, you'd probably take Bledsoe. But if you can have Beverly at 5 million or Bledsoe at 15 million, you would take Beverly at 5 million so that you can use those resources elsewhere. And that's kind of the situation I think that Oklahoma City's in with Andre Roberson. They got one of these core supporting players for 10 million a year. They're not paying him 16 million dollars a year. And in the new economy with the NBA salary cap being at 99 million this year and going to eclipse 100 million in the coming years, you're now paying a starter one-tenth of your salary cap. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, the problem is with Andre Roberson's game, the fact that he can't shoot. He really limits you as a team overall. But those problems weren't going to be solved whether you sign him for $1 million or $20 million. You know, those are the things that Billy Donovan as coach is going to have to strategize around and work around and make work. But... I think it's a good deal for the Thunder because they got a you know a guy that they were going to keep no matter what, they got it at a pretty good rate, and especially you put it with that super cheap deal that they got Patrick Patterson on two days ago, they're starting to kind of build out that roster around Paul George and Russell Westbrook. And the nice thing about Patrick Patterson, who's probably going to start at power forward for them, is that he's a really good three-point shooter, which having him, George, and Westbrook as the three shooters will take a little bit of the pressure off of Andre Roberson to be a floor spacer compared to with Sabonis, who was the power forward last year. Even though he was respectable as a shooter, teams left him open, so he didn't provide spacing. Patrick Patterson is a much better shooter, and teams should be defending him out there, so he will provide much more spacing. Now, let's talk about some Clipper targets. We had some rumors yesterday. First, that the Clippers were going to have a meeting with JaVale McGee, which is interesting, but I doubt it'll go anywhere. I don't think the, you know, with Montrez Harrell and DeAndre Jordan, I don't see where the minutes are for JaVale McGee. And while JaVale is probably better than Montrez Harrell, I, I just don't see it. I actually think, as much as I hate to say this because it feels like the Warriors get everybody. Nick, they just got Nick Young. They got Omri Caspi. I'm not a huge Nick Young fan. I am a pretty big Omri Caspi fan. And both of those guys are, you know, Young is 6'7", Caspi 6'9". They're both good three-point shooters. So they're just more weapons for Golden State to put around their stars. But JaVale McGee, I thought his role in Golden State last year was almost perfect for him. The ability to provide this sort of DeAndre Jordan rim protection and pick and roll threat, but in like this limited off the bench energy guy role where he didn't have too much pressure put on him. And I thought he really performed, performed well. So I think he should go back there if anything, but yeah, he's meeting with teams. Maybe he's going to try to get some more money. He's had a lot of injury problems in his career. So maybe some long-term financial security would be ideal for him. Um, the Clippers, oh, so they were linked with Tony Allen. Now, Tony Allen is not the most exciting signing. Um, according to the reports, it would be a sign-and-trade deal. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the Clippers would give back to the Grizzlies, but it indicates that they view Allen as more than a minimum salary level guy. 
I can't imagine they'd be giving much back to Memphis. I would. It would have to be Tony Allen coming into the trade exception, but the trade exception is worth $7.3 million. I don't think they would give him that full amount. So maybe if he's going to make like a, a three-year, $12 million contract because sign-and-trade deals have to be at least three years, so he would take up four of the $7.3 million in the trade exception. It still lets you fit underneath the hard cap, which using the full trade exception and the full mid-level exception would not do. So if, if they go down that, that road, I think that's where they'll go. Tony Allen played for Doc Rivers in Boston. He played actually on the championship Celtics team, although I don't think he had a huge role. Yeah, he barely played in the playoffs. Um, and in the regular season that year, he was like just you know a backup 18 minutes a game. So nothing spectacular as far as being one of Boston's main players when Doc Rivers was winning the championship there, but still played under Doc for several years and obviously has a tremendous reputation as a defender, and even though he has slowed down a little bit at 35 years old, he is not washed in any way. Now, he probably would be by the end of a three-year contract, but you can work in non-guarantees so that the Clippers would be able to, to cut him for free. Um, I think the concern with Allen is that even though he's so good as a defender, he's really limited as an offensive player. And not in the sense of Luke Mbamute, but actually worse. Because Luke Mbamute, while he did was not much of a shooting threat and teams would leave him open and he had a slow release and he was easy for them to close out on, he didn't pump fake and drive enough, all that, very true. But Luke Mbamute, to his part, made 39% of his three-pointers on one and a half attempts a game in 22 minutes. So put that across 36 minutes, 36, 39% of his threes on 2.2 attempts per 36 minutes. Tony Allen last season made 28% of his threes on one attempt per 36 minutes. So imagine a guy who shoots 10% worse from three than Mbamute and shoots them half as often as Mbamute. And you've got Tony Allen. Tony Allen is also 6'4", so he's a shooting guard, and he can defend point guards and shooting guards, and even some small forwards because he's just that freaking talented on the defensive end. But he's not a legit 6'8 wing stopper to use against guys like Kevin Durant and LeBron James. Luke Mbamute is 6'8". He plays power forward and small forward. And while I actually think that the Clippers could use a shooting guard slash small forward more than they could use a, a small forward slash power forward, I feel like they could use a 2-3 guy more than Luke Mbamute, who's a 3-4 guy, which is why I would like for them to go after C.J. Miles, who's a really good 3-and-D shooting guard slash small forward. But... At least Luke Mbamute can be a 3-4, whereas Tony Allen's really limited to just a 2, only shooting guard. Luke Mbamute at least gives the Clippers another option at small forward, and I think that if the Clippers keep Luke Mbamute, what they could look to do, having missed out on Zach Randolph, is play Luke Mbamute and Sam Decker at the two forward spots on the second unit in kind of a small ball lineup, and 
Bryce Johnson, I imagine, will spend some time in the D-League after having been injured for most of his rookie year. Brandon Bass, the Clippers could bring back as like their emergency big man. Montrez Harrell's the backup center. Sam Decker's the backup power forward. Luke Mbamute is the backup small forward. I think it's a pretty good, pretty good fit. You know, Sam Decker, while technically he's considered a small forward, actually played almost all of his minutes at power forward for Houston last year. Now that was mostly because Houston plays a really up-tempo, small type of style under Mike D'Antoni, but he still played most of his minutes at power forward, so we haven't seen him play small forward in a typical NBA system. Putting him in a pairing with Luke and Bonamute, where Luke can take the tougher defensive assignment and then on offense, it's more of a free-flowing style and it doesn't matter, might be a good stepping stone for him into seeing if he can actually play small forward in the NBA or if he's just going to be like an athletic, hopefully develops his three-point shooting, small ball power forward. Now, the last guy to talk about, as far as the Clippers are concerned, is point guard Milos Teodosic. Milos Teodosic. I gotta get used to saying it out loud if they're going to sign him. So, Milos Teodosic is a Serbian point guard. He's 30 years old. He's 6'5". For CSK Moscow last year, he averaged 16 points and 7 assists. He shot 38% from 3. Now, none of that probably means really anything to anyone, right? Like, he averaged 16 points and 7 assists in Europe. Okay, this is his name. He's from Serbia. Okay, what does it mean? Well, I've watched some highlights of his, and I will be the first to admit that while I had heard his name before, I had never actually watched videos of him before yesterday. I don't know very much about him. I've talked to a couple people that I trust that, are more well-versed in the European leagues than I am. But he's an impressive player. And he's impressive enough that he's considered, generally, by basketball scouts around the world, to be the best player in the world who's not playing in the NBA right now. So that's pretty substantial. Some, some say that he may be the best player to ever not play in the NBA. Because at 30 years old, he spent his whole career in Europe so far. But that could change. The Clippers reportedly are not only looking at bringing him in to as a guy who they think could make the team at the minimum salary, but actually as a major rotation player for the mid-level exception. Which is, in a sense risky because you don't know how he's going to play in the NBA because he's never played in the NBA before but on the other hand it's almost like a very very like Greg Popovich move to go after the best European player in the world right um and you know watching these highlights he throws passes like he's playing in slow like everyone else around him is playing in slow-mo you know Chris Paul is a phenomenal passer but not like this. And I'm not gonna I'm not not to say that Teodosic is a better passer than Chris Paul, but just that his passes are almost artistic. They're very the way he weaves through traffic, he throws the ball from different angles and bounces it in different spots. Very 
you know, very much an art form to watch some of these highlights. So I encourage you to go, you know, Google it. It's Milos, M-I-L-O-S, Teodosic, T-E-O-D-O-S-I-C. Look up his highlights. Look up some of these passes because they're phenomenal. He's a very, very good shooter. Like I said, a really heady passer, can run an offense. He's not so great of a defender. He's not a superb athlete, especially at 30 years old. So it's not like he's some perfect, amazing superstar. He's not going to come in and be an all-star in the NBA. But there's some speculation that he could be a starter in the NBA. And if not, most definitely a rotation player. So I think it would be interesting to have basically Patrick Beverly's starting spot is secured. But between Teodosic and Austin Rivers, it wouldn't shock me if Milos ends up starting next to Beverly and Rivers is like in that sixth man role, kind of stepping into Jamal Crawford's shoes a little bit more because, you know, he's kind of been slowly overtaking Jamal Crawford in the last couple of years. Now with Jamal gone, he really steps to center stage as the main guy on the bench unit. But Teodosic... First of all, Patrick Beverly, even though he's a 6'1 point guard, was really Houston's shooting guard last year. And James Harden was really their point guard. Because James Harden always had the ball in his hands. James Harden was the offensive creator. He was getting all the assists. But Beverly was just taking the tough defensive assignment. He was helping out with some ball handling duties. He was hitting open shots at a good rate. Well, Patrick Beverly can still do that with a play playmaker like Milos Teodosic. Now, Teodosic is no James Harden, just like I said, he's no Chris Paul, but he's still pretty good. And so you can put the ball in his hands, Beverly will be still, still be tasked with more than he was last year, and Austin Rivers coming off the bench will be tasked with more than he was last year, and particularly Blake Griffin is going to have to step up as a major playmaker for the team. But it wouldn't shock me... You know, in theory, a backcourt of Beverly and Teodosic works because you put Beverly on the tougher defensive assignment and we'll have to see. Like I said, I don't know. I know basics about Teodosic's game, but I don't I haven't really watched him ever. So maybe he's a totally horrible defender and you can't start him because he can't have any hope of defending starting caliber guards. Maybe he's OK, but a little slow footed and between him and Beverly and then bringing Rivers off the bench you can get by even though he's not great I, I don't know exactly what his limitations will amount to on the defensive end but even if he's coming off the bench he gives the Clippers a guy with the pure point abilities to run the offense but the size and shooting to play the shooting guard position so I think, you know, I'm excited, even though, like I said, I don't know much about him. It's not like I can come out here and say, this guy's going to be a star, because I really don't know, I, I, I don't know very much about him. But just from what I've heard, it seems like a very kind of exciting outside-the-box signing. It's exactly the opposite of going after an NBA has-been, like Derrick Rose or Rajon Rondo, who are liable to hurt your team far more than they help. So I would be without necessarily knowing how he's going to pan out, I would be a fan of the move because I think it's like kind of like a bold outside-the-box idea. It's not what people have always criticized Doc Rivers for, which is, yeah, he's going to go sign this player who was good in the Eastern Conference eight years ago. 
That's not what would be happening here. This would be some serious international scouting. So I look forward, you know, they're going to meet with Teodosic today. So I look forward to hopefully hearing that the two sides reached a deal. And then if they are indeed talking about the mid-level exception, that would be off the table. And the Clippers' flexibility really narrows from that point on because they've still got the rights to re-sign Mbamute, Felton, or Bass. They could still try to work a sign-in trade for Tony Allen, but they could only use part of the trade exception because of the hard cap. They could still try to work a Lou Williams for Avery Bradley trade. Again, taking on a couple million extra dollars inches you closer to the hard cap. But likely, if they finalize this Teodosic deal, then there will only be maybe one or two above minimum moves left and then a couple of minimum guys, and that will be the roster. So, I don't know if you guys remember, last year the Clippers actually made a ton of signings in the first few days of July. They had Austin Rivers back, Jamal Crawford back, Wesley Johnson back, and all that was left was minimums. Now we're getting a little bit more of a show this year, kind of dragging it out into you know, the second week of July, where we don't know exactly who the main players are going to be. On the Clippers. We don't know what the rotation is going to look like yet. Now that's going to do it for today's episode of the Locked On Clippers podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with one final episode of the week, and then we will see what the weekend brings us. I want to take this opportunity at the end of the episode to thank my Patreon supporters. You can support the podcast by going to patreon.com and just typing in Locked On Clippers. I want to give a shout out to one new supporter, Martin. His Twitter handle is at SDLA forever. So like San Diego, Los Angeles forever, SDLA forever. Thank you, Martin, for supporting the show. Thank you to everyone else who supports the show and supports me either on Patreon or Venmo. You can, of course, hit me up with any comments, questions, or feedback on Twitter at LucasJHan, or you can email me lhan.clipsnation at gmail.com. Be sure, especially over the weekend and following Summer League when there's a lot going on, to follow along the Clips Nation blog, clipsnation.com. All the news, all the updates, all the analysis, everything wonderful, splendid, great staff, and the Twitter account at ClipsNationSBN. Thanks for listening. This is Lucas Hand signing off for Locked On Clippers. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.